Hello again to all you weirdos, Krakoans, and the Krakoa Curious. This is Episode 5 of the Weird Dose of X. We are back for another show preparing everyone for the very soon-to-start Axe Judgment Day event. My name is Jason, as, as always, I am here with our friend, on loan from X-Lapse and the Cognitive Treadmill, Chris Sheehan. How are you today, Chris? Hey, hey, uh, well, I guess first to our, uh, the handful of folks out there who listen, um, thank you for, uh, your patience. <laughs> um, it's been a trying few weeks at the, uh, palatial Chris State here, uh, we've been, we've been sick, we've been ill, we've been COVIDed, which, uh, ugh, it's, uh, not something I recommend. I, I don't recommend trying it. It's very on trend, but sometimes the trends are best avoided. I know, and I'm I'm not usually a trendy guy, so I, I, I whenever I'm relevant or trendy, it's usually inadvertent. So here we are. I, <laughs> I am inadvertently part of the crowd here. But uh, we apologize for the delays here. We were hoping to have this episode two, maybe even three weeks ago. I think we're going to be okay because the event hasn't started yet. In a couple true. days, that first prelude of, uh, issue is going to come out. True, But true. before that happens, we want to get everyone up to speed. Well, we talk about the X-Men a lot on this mm-hmm. show already. Yes. We, we kind of like those guys. Yeah, sure. Uh, but today, we want to get caught up on the other two letters on the Axe acronym, or the acronym, if you will, uh, uh, the Avengers and the Eternals. Who? So. The, the whole background of this, though, is about another letter, letter C. It's all kind of, they're not super big characters in it on the page, but behind everything are these Celestials. Mm-hmm. Not one of those Jack Kirby creations that everyone kind of knows something about, but not really. So, so Chris, mm-hmm. what do you think of when you hear about these Celestials? Uh, I was first introduced to the Celestials in uh, Marvel Universe Trading Card Series 3. Ooh, okay. Yes, and they were uh, there was a little subset called like cosmic beings or something. It was like the first time I ever saw things like ego, the planet, uh, the watcher, um, uh, eternity, uh, the living tribunal, stuff like that. And uh, the celestials were part of that. And me being you know a uh, eleven, twelve year old kid, I confused them and conflated them with the sentinels. You know, the name is similar, kinda, and they're big, huge looking robots. So um, makes sense, yeah. I, I confused them with them, and then the first time I saw them both, in comics, both designed originally by Jack Kirby, right? And he has yes. that particular style. Anything drawn by Kirby has that kind of Kirby tech look to it. Absolutely, and it's really unmistakable, in- including women. <laughs> he, he does have that that one no neck kind of out to the shoulders face. Yeah, that's true. Now, the first time I read about them was actually in an X Factor um, story arc called the Judgment War. And, uh, or maybe Judgment Day War, which, I mean, hey, we're in Judgment Day now, we're about to be. And, uh, in that, X Factor was the original five, you know, Cyclops, Gene, and the rest. And they were whisked away by the Sentinels to this, like, um, backwater medieval by, sort by of. By the society. Sentinels or by the Celestials? Oh, the Celestials, I'm sorry. Okay, yes, okay, the okay let's check. And, um, I remember the end of that issue had a Celestial's foot about to crush Cyclops, and he kept, he was blasting up at the, at the bottom <laughs> of his foot, and he's like, Wow, this is a stupid way to die. And I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> but they were sent to this backwater world here, and they were like put in an arena to fight. It was gladiators. It was a pretty fun story. I didn't really get the the whole celestialness about it. I didn't understand what they were. But um, going forward, anytime I see them, especially in latter years, uh, years since 2011, say, I always get worried that they are a harbinger of a reboot. Because, okay. And that goes back it, to Hickman. They're just so huge and big and powerful that anything they, do they do anything. is yeah. going to knock over the world. They, they can you can't do, do something small with a Celestial. No, certainly not. They, and, 
anytime you see them, it is cause for alarm. And uh, I believe it was the Hickman Fantastic Four where the rumors were hot and heavy. And Marvel, Marvel's editorial, uh, they're usually dicks. So um, they like to stoke the controversy and they like to really screw with the fandom for some reason, because I guess that helps sales. I don't know. Press, press is press, I guess mm-hmm. they think. I guess. And uh, this was just post New 52. And they were, you know, the rumors were hot and heavy. The Marvel was going to follow suit because, you know, for those two or three months, DC did really good numbers, you know, flushing sure. our entire history down the toilet for two or three months sales. But, um, everybody thought Marvel was going to do the same thing. And we had this story going on in Hickman's Fantastic Four, which was kind of leaning toward that. And I remember reading an issue. It was either Fantastic Four or FF, which was his, you know, spinoff there after, uh, Johnny Storm had passed. And there was a sent, there was a celestial there. And I remember just being like, no, 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 no. Get that off the page. I don't want to see a Celestial. And every time I see them, I always get that kind of those butterflies like, oh, no, something's going to happen here, which I guess is a good thing for the character or for the for the beings and for the import of those beings that they bring with them such just cause for alarm. It's a but as for actually digging in deep as what they actually are, I've been reading comics for 30 years and I couldn't tell you. They seem to be Jack Kirby's idea for something so big you can't understand it. Like a Cthulhu-ian thing, yeah. Cthulhu or just like his idea of, you know, big G God. Sure, sure. Right? They're they're so big. They're so powerful. They created maybe everything, Everything depending on which which retcon we're on. Because just like they're part of reboots and, you know, kicking things over, they're exactly what they are has been retconned a few times. Sure, sure. At least as far as I can tell. So, and it's going to happen again. Of course. So... (laughs) Uh, they mean they mean change. Yeah, I mean they're not and like they're a just Thor they're or so a big. It's not like you can understand them. We're not supposed to understand them. We're not no. supposed to identify with them. We're supposed to identify with the beings looking up at them and saying, I "Want to react? What is my point in the world when this exists?" Exactly. It's, it's to make the Avengers and the Eternals and everybody feel teeny teeny tiny for sure, and remind them of their little little tiny place in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Which I mean, we we've, we've all been there. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> So, uh, for the, this issue or for this event, it really starts with the first six, really the first eight uh, issues of the Jason Aaron run of Avengers. Have you been, have you been keeping up with our friends, the Avengers these past couple of years? In and out. Um, I read the first arc, uh, which, you know, I, I, people who know me will know that I am very, very pig headed and stubborn as it pertains to the movies. I do not watch the movies. I won't watch the movies. I have no interest in the movies. I wish the movies would go away. I'm getting the feeling that a lot of the movie stuff is kind of working its way into the books here, where, like, the first two issues of this run here, it was all like Tony Stark saying, ah, I'm too old for this crap. Is that something out of the movies? I don't think so. Or is I mean, that just... he's not he's not in the movies anymore. He kind of uh, oh, okay. snapped okay. himself out of them. Because it's uh, just, I'm seeing these, like, weird, like, yeah. like sitcom-y conversations, and it's like, this is Well, not- I mean, that's that's been around in the Avengers for, you know... Oh, okay. You've had Joss Whedon-y stuff, and that, that kind of dialogue has taken over kind of everywhere. Uh, it's but, unfortunate. Yeah, I, this, I think it started off pretty strong in... I mean, for folks who have been listening to the regular Marvel show, will we'll remember, notice that, hey, Jim and Jason haven't been talking about the Avengers for a while, because the past few issues we've looked at and said, yeah, we're not even going to talk about them, How because yeah. right now they're they're stuck in, uh, he's in love with the multiverse. I think because mm-hmm. Spider-Man uh, and Spider-Verse made billions of dollars off of the idea of the multiverse and different versions of every character, mm-hmm. that's all we're doing. We're getting 12 versions of 
you know, uh, Captain America. Yeah. We're getting a whole bunch of versions of Black Panther and it's just, we're, we're not going anywhere. So it doesn't seem like the current issues of Avenger have anything to do with our events. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will, but I can't see how it would. It really does seem like these first few issues of Avengers where it is. And it's all told out of order because Jason Aaron wants to set up a mystery to be resolved, sure. which is, is fine, a very classic way of doing a comic. But I think we're going to talk about it in the order things actually were reveals to happen Sure. once we knew all the information. Because we don't, we don't need to lead people down through a mystery. They can get that from books. Anymore. Absolutely. And, but and what we learn from this book, yes, Chris? It's a, one of the things about this run on Avengers is uh, Jason Aaron has been like gifted with these wonderful artists. Like I've I've enjoyed oh, the yeah. art all the way through. Like going like Ed McGuinness kicked off the run, and Ed McGuinness is just like candy art to me. And right now, is it uh is it Javier Garon? I believe it is. I yes. believe it's Garon, but it's beautiful. Yes, beautiful, it beautiful is. stuff. And like every time out, I want to read it. I want to mm-hmm. get into it, and I open it up, and I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, I'm and, and there are times when he does give the artists, you know, a real treat. Like, you know, oh, the yeah. idea of drawing these weird multiversal versions of Doctor Doom or Mephisto. Sure. Yeah, we, we had a page, a double page spread of like fifty different versions of Mephisto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It looks really cool on the sure. page. In story sure. terms, it's really hard to work with. Absolutely, but it looks awesome. Yeah. But in the Avengers, we have this change of their status quo, all dealing back with. Four billion years ago. Oh, so we're going way, wow. way, way back. But this is into Marvel and Legacy, what, right? Uh, I'm not really sure where it fits in with what happened before. I'm just understanding what ha- what they told us in the Jason Aaron. Oh, okay, so, I thought we were introducing the uh, the BC Avengers or whatever they were. That was Legacy, well, right? Uh, oh, yeah. And that, yeah, that okay. one shot, that's, that's yeah, I guess, yeah, where yeah. they were first mentioned. They do come up in the regular Avengers run, too. But yes, four billion yes. years. Well, this is even before the BC Avengers. This is BBC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so four billion years ago, uh, this uh, one celestial called a progenitor shows up. Yes, okay. Really, really sick. Uh, we know now that it was infected with something called, I think we're calling it the Horde. This Basic, is the Gaiman stuff. Is that where it came from? Well, I, you know, Neil Gaiman uh, came, it, the first time I got into the Eternals here, uh, or I tried to, was right in the turn of the century because it was an X-Men tie-in. It was a mm-hmm. uh, it was New Eternals Apocalypse Now. Where uh, Apocalypse had um, done something to, like he he set something forward to in hopes of outing the Eternal, you know, making the Eternals public, like people knowing who they were. It led to a really, really, really stupid thing where they took on a the form of a superhero team called the New Breed. So you had the Eternals, Icarus and the gang, and they were the New Breed. They were just not Eternals anymore. They were the New Breed. That got flushed because Neil Gaiman decided he wanted to write the Eternals, and uh, if Neil Gaiman says he wants to do something. Everybody bends over and is very polite about it. And uh, so he did the, uh, what was it, like a six-issue story with John Romita Jr., right? Uh, oh, okay. Neil Gaiman, he came in with a, with a lot of pomp and circumstance to do a book called 1602. This was early in the okay, Kastata, right. Gemis thing. That, that I've read. It's got like it uh, Spider-Man as a pilgrim. It, it sucked. It was garbage. It was absolute garbage. And um, It was a, a lot like this uh, multiversal stuff where it's just – Everybody getting really excited to see the same character in a different, in a different point of view. Different, yeah, yeah, it's it's really really boring stuff here. And I mean, when you have a writer with such a pedigree as a Neil Gaiman here, and it's like, hey, you're going to tell this story, 1602. It's like, don't we have other books we can put him on? No, no, 1602. Sure, garbage. Um, then he does an Eternal story, which I I'd been burnt by New Eternals. Thought it was very very dull. Picked this up out of curiosity. And also found it dull, but I believe it was here where the concept of the Horde was introduced. It's been ages since I've read it, 
But um, okay. I believe that's where this comes from. The thing that's infecting the progenitor, is it? Okay, yep. So this yeah. is the one celestial, the progenitor, again, four billion years ago. So before people, before mm-hmm. animals, before anything. It just happens to crash on Earth and die here. And what we find out is that all the nastiness in it, the horde, the, they call the, the pus and the ooze and the necrofluids and lovely words like that <laughs> kind of seep out into the Earth. And that is going to be the source of all the weird things that happen on it. Mm-hmm. Basically, they, again, this is one of those stories that Marvel's told in a whole bunch of different ways. Here's what's really going on for Earth. Here's the big picture, the secret hidden thing that undergirds everything. Everything you thought you and knew was there, wrong. Right. We've got like five different contradictory explanations for that, but that's fine. For mm-hmm. this one, we're told all the weird stuff on Earth is due to some goo from a dead, infected celestial colon mm-hmm. project. Yes. Okay. So that was four billion years ago. Now, celestials, they don't operate on the same time scale as you and me, so they don't really notice for a while. Sure. In fact, they don't notice for a, a roughly four billion years. So one million years ago, which, you know, in, in cosmic time scales is basically nothing. Yeah. One million years ago, uh, Zagreb the Aspirant. I love these celestial <laughs> names. Very biblical. They are. I mean, no coincidence there. Uh, so this other celestial, he's sent to investigate. Hey, wasn't, uh, wasn't, uh, the progenitor around here somewhere? What happened to him? There you go. So he goes down and tries to figure out what's going on, comes to Earth. Uh oh. He's come to like a, a city infected with the plague, mm-hmm. right? It's got the rats with the fleas with the plague. Yeah. That, that's us. <laughs> and he gets really sick. He's like freshly infected. Uh, not that anyone here can identify with that. But while he's on Earth and sick, that's when these BC Avengers meet the Celestials for the first time. And so these BC Avengers are like Odin. Yeah. And the, uh, Agamotto is these, the Doctor Strange Supreme. Yeah. Right? There's like an original Star Brand. There's was, an original Black Panther. Yeah. Cause like the Star Brand is kind of like an analog to the Hulk in this situation, right? He's like a big it, brute. It's, He's drawn like the Hulk, but mm. they never call him a Hulk. No, they call him a star. He, yeah, because he has the he has the actual star brand. Yeah. Right. So all those big uh, the Phoenix, the Phoenix is in. Yeah. Like not like the Phoenix in somebody. It's like just the Phoenix Entity has itself. the Phoenix. Yeah. And, right. and there's a uh, an oh. Iron Fist, like a woman Iron Fist. Uh, the Queen right. Thing. There's yeah. a there's a Ghost Rider riding a uh, a Mastodon. That's right. Again, cool stuff to draw. Kind of silly to think about, but yeah. cool stuff to draw. So they fight against Zagreb because they think that, you know, he must be here attacking the Earth. Mm-hmm. And they kill Zagreb, or at least they, they, they kind of think they kill yeah. Zagreb. Right. So that was a million years ago. And what are your thoughts on retconning this sort of thing into existence here? Like, the Avengers getting together in the first place was basically born out of an accident. If you read, like, Avengers right. number one back in the day. I, I know that I know it's a very... It's a very, it seems to be a very trendy thing in comics yes. to say that every hero who we thought was created by one specific event that just kind of happened, like Spider-Man, Peter Parker just happened to be bitten by a radioactive spider. I think that's a more interesting story than actually there's this whole there's spider totem, spider, yeah. spider totems across time and space. Yeah. I think it makes it less special. It does. Oh, 100%. I agree. Yeah. So I, I'm not happy. I know. I mean, I know I understand that in any given issue, it's cool to make it for this issue. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's this great BC Avengers. There's these great spider totems. But I kind of think it retroactively makes the other stories not as fun. It makes them very weak. It makes them all seem like they're, they're fated to be. And, uh, that takes a lot of the, a lot of the fun out of it. It's, <laughs> yeah, I agree. And it's but lazy. That's, <laughs> it's, that's what, that's what we got it's here. Crazy. They, they don't want to create brand new characters because they think that new readers and buyers won't be into new characters. They want to save those right. for image. 
Right. They, they want to make new characters, but they want to make them new, but actually the things you already know and love. Everything's so that's why we get – that's where we get multiversal versions. That's where we get – actually, there was this other set of Avengers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what we got here. So we got to go. True that. So uh, after they kill off Zagreb, the Celestials kind of come and check, okay, we've, we've now lost two of our buddies here. We got to find it out. And that's when the Celestial realize, uh-oh, there's this disease here. I mean, the Avengers, sure, they're pretty strong, but – they never would have been able to take down Zagreb or in perfect health. Obviously, not yeah. in perfect health. So, what the Celestials say, and this is one of the things that's not revealed until like the end of the arc. Mm-hmm. We're going to tell you now. What they say is, "Hey, this horde thing. This is really bugging us. We could really use a vaccine against this. We could really use an antiviral. Mm-hmm. All this kind of stuff." Again, the parallels are you know, striking. Yes, very uh, inconvenient timing here. It uh, seems to be Marvel's the, uh, point, uh, point nowadays. Oh, well, the way they want to uh, make this come about is, hey, if we can just kind of wall off the Earth, kind of just kind of put it off the side, let them deal with this whole horde thing. We know some weird stuff is happening there. Uh, You know, it's like they evolve much more quickly than us Celestials. They have, you know, lifespans that are like a mayfly compared to Celestial. So maybe they'll evolve some defenses against this thing that's bugging us, right? They're basically like penicillin. Can they make penicillin out of people? Yeah. And so they kind of create the... Yep. So in this telling, the Eternals were only put on Earth in order to kind of protect humanity so they don't get completely killed Mm -hmm. off. We want them to be stressed out and under this this attack so they can do the evolution thing. But we don't want them to be completely killed off. So the Eternals are going to be there to kind of make sure that humanity continues. And that... And that is the only purpose of the Eternals. Mm-hmm. They thought that they were the they were the big deal here. They thought they were the ones closest to the gods. But no, they're they're just uh, they the book the term they use is the lid on the petri dish. Yeah, which is just kind of making sure that the humans don't escape and that they don't get killed off. Just keep the experiment going until we get our Real pencil. Yeah, right. So that was uh, a million years ago, and then you know time passes. The event, various things on Earth's history happen, and now we're up to kind of the present day, and some more sick event, sick celestials show up. These are the final hosts. Yes. These have been kind of taken over by the horde, almost like, uh, you see those nature shows about this, this fungus that takes over an ant and kind of makes a zombie ant. Oh, the cordyceps. Some weird things. Yeah, yeah the cordyceps. Again, which shows up in X-Men mm-hmm. because it was, this is a, a cool, uh, Cool book called "The Girl with All the Gifts." Yeah, written talking about that, a cool zombie book. It, that were, that's what uh, either ripped off or was ripped off by The Last of Us, the PlayStation. Okay, I haven't played that. I, I think I, I'm not sure what came yeah, first, it but a, it's a really cool novel. Cordyceps virus, and, and the girl was immune to it. Right. Yeah. So they were going to kill and, her and get uh, a black vaccine. Yeah. yeah, it was a really neat neat book, and I, I think just the combination of that book and all these nature shows, all the comic book writers read the same thing. I think so, and they all yeah. kind of went. They all kind of went with a the theme. I mean. This, this There's nothing original under the sun. Mm-hmm. So in this series, we have the final host, you know, multiple infected dark celestials. And the Avengers have to kind of figure out, this is what brings the Avengers back together again. Because just like every time the Avengers reboots, they go, they're all separate. Ah, we're going to be our own separate yeah. thing. We don't need a team. But then some threat that they can't fight individually happens. And again, we get the hint that maybe Loki is involved here. Maybe Loki helped kind of dig up the one celestial that called in. Like Zagreb, Zagreb sets out some kind of a cosmic message that calls in these other dark celestials. Yeah. 
And so we've got this fight on Earth that brings the Avengers back together. Uh, the Eternals do show up in this in this book very briefly. Very, very Most briefly. of them dead. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them are Most still dead. Yeah. We see Icarus, who we're going to talk about. He's still alive, barely alive. Mm, yeah. And they just found out, hey, you guys who thought you were the bee's knees, you were only here to keep the humans kind of safe. Yeah. And they've already got superheroes, so they You're their job is done. Yeah. Their their purpose for existing, they've existed for millions of years. Their purpose is done, yeah. and they can't they can't handle this. And they I'm not sure if they kill themselves, they kill each other. Basically, they're all they, dead. yeah. They they wipe they wipe themselves out basically. Yeah, right. They have this existential crisis, and when you're an eternal with an existential crisis, you don't just have a little too much bourbon. You you commit mass suicide. Yes. <laughs> so that takes them in story terms. The purpose here is to take the Eternals off the board, so that it's only Avengers and Celestials. Because if Eternals are around, they're going to be part of, of it. But Jason Aaron doesn't want them part of this story, so this is how he gets them off the board. Off the board. Mm-hmm. So the way that the Avengers, fast forwarding through this whole uh, event, deal with this is uh, before Icarus died. He kind of shared psychically the secret with Iron, Iron Man yeah. of how to form this thing called the Unimind, mm-hmm. which is some way of merging consciousness. It's the way that the uh, eternal government works. It's just a way of merging things and making decisions together. And uh, so Tony Stark remembers this at the last moment, of course, because it's a comic mm-hmm. book. And this secret allows the Avengers to kind of form their own Unimind which allows them to kind of deactivate this nasty oh, stuff yeah. within the horde. And it doesn't kill off the the new uh, final host. It kind of cures yeah. them, which is what the Celestials were after all along. So now the Celestials know, mm-hmm. hey, this horde thing that's been plaguing us for literally four billion years, now we've got the cure to that. Awesome. Yeah. Earth's, Earth's done its purpose. It's this, this Petri dish has done what we made it to do. We've got the cure for that. And as kind of a thank you to the Avengers, they say, hey, we know you guys need a headquarters, right? You need some place to hang out and play ping pong and argue with each other and, you know, order Chinese food. So why don't you use, and it's not Zagreb, because Zagreb, I think, is, is healthy yeah. again now. Right. It's the progenitor, mm-hmm. but he's, he's been, he's dead as a doornail. He's deader than Marley. He's so dead that, you know, he's been buried under the ice in, was it North Pole or South Pole? I think North, North Pole, Pole, I believe. North Pole. So why don't you use him as kind of your fortress of solitude? Inside him. We're gonna we're gonna dig him up for you, put him up on the surface. We'd rather him be in the sunlight as kind of a a, a testament yeah. to the rest of the universe to what he did and what you did. So we're gonna put him on there, and you can kind of hollow him out mm-hmm. and live inside the celestial. Which again, a really cool thing to draw sure, on the page. For sure, absolutely. And that's really where we left off with our Avengers, and you can see why. You know, the Eternals. They are Eternals. They're gonna come back. Uh, when they find out that these humans, well, first they know that these humans are really the important ones yeah. anyway, and they find out these humans are now living in the hollowed out corpse of their dead god, <laughs> they're not going to be super thrilled. No, no, they're not going to be pleased at all. So we can kind of see where there's going to be some some little uh, friction between for those sure. two. There's going to be contention there, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that is really all we need to know about the Avengers going into this event. Is anything else you want to add to... Uh, to where our Avenger friends are as we head into the Judgment Day event? Uh, not really. I mean, that's pretty much uh, where where it all started, right? Um, I mean, there hasn't been, at least to my knowledge, a whole lot of crossover between the Eternals and the Avengers 
outside of uh, like Cersei being a member of the team for uh, for a few years during the, the leaner years of the Avengers when they were all wearing bomber right. jackets. Cersei was on the team, and uh, Gilgamesh, I think, Gilgamesh was an Avengers was there, for a while. Yeah, he came in around Avengers three hundred. It was a very very strange okay. thing with like Invisible Woman and Mister Fantastic. Very very odd. Okay, um, but uh, yes, I mean the Eternals were. It's strange, really, how uh, they've gone kind of from like zero to 60. You know, they were always just in the background. They, to me, as I was becoming more of a, like a student of the fandom, right? I always just saw the Eternals as something from Jack Kirby's fourth world that he didn't have time to put in. You know, like he, right. he came back to Marvel and oh. here, here you go. Here's something I had planned, but I'm not there anymore. So here, here's the Eternals. Okay, so if we're going to get into the Eternals, should we take a, a quick break and then come on back and reset for Eternals time? Absolutely. That sounds like a really good idea. And okay. Hopefully, I'll have something uh, neat to listen to in between our segments here, like uh, like Reggie and I used to do. No guarantees, though. That sounds fun no to me. We'll that sounds fun to me. We'll all be surprised. <laughs> all right. So that is the Avengers. We wrapped those up pretty quick. A little more... Uh, yeah. Little- little more efficient, I think, than we did on, on the X-Men. Well, I mean, people who have been listening to Weird Science have heard us talk about the Avengers a lot. So they don't mm-hmm. need quite as much love as we were giving these other two groups. Sure. And that sure. last group in our uh, acronym triumvirate. Are, triumvirate are the Eternals. And we mentioned mm-hmm. the Eternals briefly with the Avengers. Just basically said, oh, they all died there. Uh, so we've got this new uh, series. There's been several volumes of the Eternals. They never seem to last really long. There's not like no. a hundred issue run somebody has on the Eternal. That I'm not that, sure there's a hundred issues total. That doesn't. There's no legacy yeah. number on this. Interesting. They put legacy no. numbers on everything, not on the Eternals. <laughs> uh, so, but this one, obviously, there's, it's not coincidental that they started a new volume of Eternals kind of right before there was going to be this little movie called the Eternals, right? Yes. Now, mm-hmm. I, I know you're, you're not the, the biggest movie buff, Chris. I hate right? right. Okay. That's another way of putting it. Okay. Uh, but there are some, some bits of the movies have leaked into this volume. I think just mostly cosmetically. Again, I don't really know the Eternals going back, but like, uh, Makari being a black woman who mm-hmm. uses sign language and is deaf. Sure. I, that's yeah. in the movies. I think that's new to this volume. It and is. It is. Ajak being a lady, uh, Sprite being a young, being the physical appearance of a young girl rather than a young boy, just yeah. to make it, they like to have their comics look like the movies, whether that is really important for readers or not. Who, That's who all knows? cosmetic. Yeah. All cosmetic. But the creative team on this, and it is almost one, almost 100% a steady creative team, which is always yeah. nice. Uh, is. the writer is Kieran Gillen. Mm-hmm. And the artist is, I'm going to go with Asad Rabich, I believe is how I pronounce the name. I like it. Yeah, I would say Ribic, but I'd be wrong, probably. <laughs> I'm, I'm often wrong when I pronounce names if anybody well, listens I, to my show. I heard uh, his name is Chris Pierce on the Comic Tropes uh, YouTube channel talking mm-hmm. about Asad Rabich recently. And he said, Asad Rabich. So I'm going to practice saying Asad Rabich. I like it. So, so Chris, what do you know about these, these two main creators and their, their previous work? Oh, well, Kieran Gill and I was introduced to, uh, he, I mean, he's back on the X-Men now. He's doing Immortal, of course. But, uh, this isn't his first to do with the X-Men. Um, he was uh, part of the, uh, he was part of the big, you know, rebirth of mutantum here with, uh, Generation Hope. Do you, do you remember Generation Hope or do you have any familiarity oh, with that? That must be when no mutants were being born and then a mutant was being born. 
that's that the what one. that was about? Okay. That is the one, yes. Hope Summers uh, was uh, born, the first mutant post-decimation uh, in Enday. And um, they they sent her into the future with Cable. She came back full-grown adult, started a team with a weird little group uh, like Oya, who's currently in, uh, I believe it's uh, Sabretooth, I think was part of that. Is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Or no, is she part of something else? I might be mistaken. I She's might. around. She's around. She's around. Yes. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so this book, Generation Hope, was a Kieran Gillen book. A lot of fun. Really, really fun. Um, an optimistic book, which readers of the X Men know they're not always the most optimistic books. They're very angsty. They're uh, they're very um, navel gazy. But uh, this was a fun little read. He also took over Uncanny X Men uh, from Matt Fraction, or he rescued it from Matt Fraction, I should say, because that Fraction one is not great. But uh, another fun run. Uh, unfortunately, it was part of the post-schism reboot, which means I got a name number one when it really didn't need one, and that's just the way Marvel does things. But uh, another fun run. And he was the one responsible for the sassification of Mr. Sinister as well. Oh, which, really? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I remember reading it the first time back in the day, and I was like, oh, this sucks. I hate it. I'm never going <laughs> to like this. And, you know, fast forward to now, when we went through that awesome Hellions run, it's like, this is this is the way Mr. Sinister needs to be. And, okay, uh, I thought that was new to the current Krakoa era. I didn't realize that had a little bit no, of no. interesting. Yeah, and uh, I, I, we, we're not getting into the X-Men today, but um, Immortal X-Men, uh, the other Gillen, um, the current Gillen title, uh, the first issue of that is narrated entirely by Mr. Sinister, and it's fantastic. Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Oh, it is. So stuff. yeah. So Kieran Gill, I was not a, cre- a creator I was really familiar with, but he wrote this whole you know twelve issues. The Eternals are yeah, the story. Yeah, yeah. There's twelve issues here. Plus there's like three one shots, mm-hmm. and you know, spoiler. It's I I love it. The ending oh, wow. maybe isn't as strong as the rest of it, but this overall, including the one shots, are one of the best comic stories I've read in the past couple of years. Yeah. So when I saw he was coming to the X-Men, you know, he giving mm-hmm. him the immortal X-Men book, which yep. is currently being called a, a, an ongoing as far as I know, but who knows? You never know. <laughs> and he's also the writer on the main Judgment Day event. Yeah. So he's someone who knows the X-Men because he's talked about the X-Men before. He knows mm-hmm. the Eternal because he just wrote the new version of the Eternals. Yeah, he's so find them for this generation. That's really what I... What has me excited about the event is because I, I have a little bit of event fatigue myself because oh, yeah. everything's an event. Devil's Reign was an event. Could have just mm-hmm. been an arc in, in uh, Daredevil, but no, it's an event. But mm-hmm. the fact that this writer I, I now really like is writing it makes me have more hope than I would have otherwise. For sure. And uh, the artist on here, uh, Rabich, recalling him, I guess. Um, I was first introduced to him during uh, Jason Aaron's Thor uh, back around, I want to say, the first Marvel now. I think there were three of those, but uh, it was um, it, it was like Thor colon something, uh, maybe God of Thunder, Lord of Thunder, something of Thunder. But um, his art is uh, it's really something. It's it's very very special. It's got like a it's almost like a like a watercolor Eastern European. It's it's like this meshing and amalgamation of just like these disparate styles and mediums. But it's beautiful. Yeah, it beautiful has. Stuff. I don't want to call it realistic. <laughs> But it's, it's it's not like this grand romantic view that you get from like a, a Doc Shaner or sure, some sure. other other. Her- he doesn't make them look like these amazing godlike heroes. Even oh yeah, they're not they, pretty. They they're are kind of not, not all pretty. No. I mean, there's some of the faces get a little very unpretty. There's there's one particular <laughs> panel 
now <laughs> famous among certain circles on on Twitter and in some comic circles, where uh, Carol, Captain Marvel, has just the worst face. So if, if you've seen an ugly <laughs> Carol, Captain Marvel picture floating around on Twitter, yes, that is Asadra Beach. It is from the series, but it it doesn't really it's it's not emblematic of what he does. He does really sure. great work. But oh yeah, yeah. That, that's a panel everybody's seen, unfortunately. <laughs> he, he, it, it's, it's gritty. I'm going to go with. It's not realistic, it. but it's it's gritty. Yeah, so it's, it's not totally fantastical either. So mm-hmm. yeah, it is in that uh, that realm for sure. And when we open the first page of this first issue, remember all the Eternals were dead. They killed each other off to be off the board, so the Avengers and the Celestials could do their thing over the and Jason Aaron. Yeah. So this is we see Icarus, that last Avenger to, or the last Eternal to die. He's also, we find out, the last Eternal to be reborn. Because yeah, he comes out of his gold ball, doesn't he? Not exactly. <laughs> Just, I didn't, I didn't really know this was, I guess this was a thing for Eternals being reborn yes. before it was mm-hmm. a thing for the X-Men. So it's not like he's yep. copying off Krakoa. No, he's Krakoa not. was copying off the Eternals. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Eternal Rebirth has a very different feel to it than it does. In Krakoa. It's I mean, much on Krakoa, more sterile and clinical. And, yeah, on Krakoa, yeah, I would call it industrial. That's what I get. That's a good word for it. Yeah, because yeah. on Krakoa, right, it's like it's kind of magical organic. and these powers yeah. and organic, and there's eggs involved and plants and everybody joining hands in a circle and, and, and kumbaya. seeing kumbaya, yeah. and and then there's this big presentation to the rest of the and saying. I know you, who are you? And there's this big, maybe, maybe pretty, maybe cult-like, but very organic look to it. Where mm-hmm. here, he just wakes up in a mold in a factory. That's it. And that very, is very, very Kirby-ish. Yeah. yeah. He gets woken up and the machine, which the machine we find out in Eternal's lore is the Earth, basically. Yeah. The it's, yeah. it's all throughout. It's like the planet, but it's like the important parts of the planet. Like most of the mm-hmm. planet, just like the, uh, the case you put your computer in. Sure, right. Sure. Where the important bits are are the machine and the under the under the chassis, yeah. Right. So when Icarus wakes up, the first thing he's asked by the machine is, "What are the principles?" Mm-hmm. You're not told, you know. Here you are. You're special. You're told. Remember what your point is. Because all yeah. Eternals are created to serve a purpose, yeah. not for their own good, yeah. not for anything, but do a job that the machine and the Celestials have made yeah. them for. You have and to ask. Icarus immediately recites the principles, which are protect celestials, protect the machine, and correct excess deviation. Mm-hmm. So three laws. Huh. Again, I think so. Uh, this this existed. Bef- this also existed before Krakoa. These rules. You know, I don't know about the rules necessarily because they did make the pivot uh, during the during the Jason Aaron deal here, where the Eternals had that purpose of of protecting the planet, protecting the Earth, protecting humanity. And also protecting the Celestials. I don't know if these are new. I am unfortunately a little ignorant to the earliest Eternals because I found it very, 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 very boring. Um, much like much of the fourth world. That's, it boring. can be a thing with these huge concepts. I mean, this is Jack Kirby in his kind of new gods sort Psychedelic, of Psychedelic. Yeah. Right? His huge, big concepts separate from mm-hmm. characterization, separate from any feeling that there's Relatability. You can identify with them, relatable yeah, with them, which sure. is the point, but it, it can get boring if the concepts don't really, really grab. Yeah, you need, you need something to resonate with you. Um, mm-hmm. and like, like you break the fourth world up into things like you have the, the new gods. You also have things like Mr. Miracle. Mr. Miracle, relatively speaking, is very grounded 
And it's the yes. one that I personally was able to identify with more before, you know, Tom King spent like six issues of him looking to the left. But uh, he actually told stories back in the day. And uh, they were semi-relatable. He was a guy who was raised in an orphanage. He, uh, he, had, he had his wife. Uh, they had their, you know, Oberon hanging out in the corner. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it became a sitcom in the 80s, and it was a lot of fun. And you were able to relate back to a lot of the pre, you know, the Kirby stuff. And you had a good time with that as well. Then you have things like the New Gods, which are similar in my head to the Eternals, where it's just like, okay, it's these huge, grand concepts that me, just being some idiot, can't really relate to. And it's like, you know, comics have that that problem, not problem so much, as an observation about comics is that you always need to make bigger. So you have your big bad, you have your big good. Sure. And then you create someone new and they have to be stronger than that big bad or the big good. So they take the other, they take the other one down. Then the next, this, right. the next that's the thing comes, where every, every biggest villain ever yeah. has to be shown to be not so big by the next biggest villain ever. Exactly. Like the, exactly. the court of owls, the court of owls was huge and cool mm-hmm. and controlling everything. And now it's just they're kind of a, a schmuck to show up to, to put over the next one. Basically, yeah. I mean, you have like a dark side, you know, the big bad in DC. Then Doomsday comes and beats the crap out of them. And then Empyrex comes and beats the crap out of Doomsday. It's, it's your, your, your power creep, right? Exactly. But here we have, to, to me, this very first page is Gillum letting me know, hey, this is going to be kind of like a twisted version of the Krakoan X-Men. Mm-hmm. Like in X-Men, we talked a lot about this. There is some darkness bubbling under, right the, under surface, the surface, right? Yeah. It's right under the surface, but it is under the surface. For sure. Here in Eternals, there's, it's, it's on top. There ain't no surface. There's yeah, no surface, there. right. We're, we're, we're pushing your face that these are not likable, relatable characters. Mm-hmm. We're, mm-hmm. we're meant to be uncomfortable right at the top of mind here. So this is, this is not supposed to look warm and friendly and celebratory, this resurrection. This is, you know, Very stamping another one out of the machine, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of parallels that get set up here and, and through the book, but mm-hmm. I'm going to list a couple of them now just at the beginning. So we've had mm-hmm. a resurrection, which is of course it's the same but different. They have mm-hmm. their three principles, which again for these the uh, Eternals are, their job is protect celestials, protect the machine, correct excess deviation. And not only the three laws of Krakoa, but this also reminded me, are you, are you a big science fiction like prose reader at all? Uh, I don't read anything without pictures. Okay. So there's also, I, I read a ton of science fiction, especially back when mm. I was a kid, uh, The Three Laws of Robotics. Have you heard of those? Um, you know, I've heard of it. I don't okay. know what they are. So that was, uh, Isaac Asimov wrote a lot of stories about I knew it was Asimov. Yeah, back in the, you know, I think even starting in like the late 40s into the 50s, oh, wow. 60s and forward, because he was, you mm. know, way back. And The Three Laws of Robotics are, oh, let's see, I'm going to... My, my younger self would kill me for not knowing this off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's three laws, and it's a robot must. Oh, let's see. A robot may not injure a human oh, being through an action, uh, allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except when such orders would conflict with the first law. And a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. There we go. I, I have been shamed in front of my, my 13 year old self. But. Yeah, just, again, this feels resonant with that as well, that you have these three laws, these three mm-hmm. rules, and the Eternals aren't quite robots, but they're not quite not robots either. They have, they, they're robotic they, in tests. They barely have free will. Sure. Right. The, another theme here is really the idea of does free will exist? Uh, there's nature versus nurture, and the Eternals are all nature, right? They have been created mm-hmm. by the Eternals to be who they are, to have their specific powers are, and sure. drives and and what they need to do. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Another parallel is that uh, this is just more visual. We get data pages throughout the info pages. The info Mm -hmm. pages. But all the info pages here have a very distinct look. They are black with blue text and blue graphics. Hard to read. They're kind of hard to read. I think they look really cool, but they, they really paper, they're hard to read. Digitally, oh, they're okay. easier. Oh, I, <laughs> digitally, it's, it's easy. Yeah. I can zoom in all I want. So uh, they really remind me of like those tablets they carry around in Star Trek, like Next Generation. Mm-hmm. If you ever see that kind of the funny text on those things, it looks a lot like, look like that to me. Okay. And okay. all of the data pages are given to us specifically by the narrator of the book. There is a single narrator throughout all these the issues. The whole, yeah, the whole. And volume. so, so Chris, who who is this narrator that's telling us the story? Well, this is the machine, right? This is the this is the Earth that the Eternals are there to put be the lid on, on the petri dish of. Yes. Correct? Which yes. I I think this is a, a wonderful concept to have the it Earth is. itself, the machine, telling us the reader the story, and, and it knows it's telling us a story. So it's kind of mm-hmm. breaking the fourth wall only itself. It's not like the characters know that we're watching, yeah. but. The Earth, the machine, the storyteller knows that we're watching. And also, we start to learn that the machine has something kind of off with it, especially at the beginning mm-hmm. for this first arc. And so- It's a little crooked, yeah. It's a, a little, little crooked. It's a yeah. little- I'm not going to go quite as far as sassy. I'm going to go with quirky. It kind of- see that. It kind of yeah. has this this weird little tone to it, which- it's got a sense of humor about it. It does. And I usually hate that kind of thing, but it really works here because mm-hmm. there's- it has restraint. It doesn't get in the way of the story. And it has. It doesn't insist upon itself. It has a purpose. It's, this is yeah. not Kieran Gillen telling me, look how clever and cynical I am. This <laughs> is him creating a character who has a particular flaw for a particular reason and acts in this way because of that. And I find because that much, that. much more entertaining. Oh, for sure. For sure. No, it's, when I, I read this first issue as a, I, I actually made a project out of it. I had it I had tagged on to the end of an episode of X-Lapse because I knew we were going to be doing this. I knew the event was coming on, and it's like, yeah, it might be advantageous of me to actually find out what this story is about. I didn't want to read Eternals. <laughs> I really, really didn't want to read Eternals. I've tried in the past. I, I have dozens of issues of Eternals from the various volumes, and it always bored me. Um, however, in reading this one, I mean, it captured me from page one. You know, there were those parallels to Krakoa that I wanted to know more about. I, I had I have theories about those that I wanted to justify or disprove. Um, and this narrator really makes you feel like you're part of the story, which probably sounds corny as hell. But it's like you are maybe not an active part of the story, but you you are seeing the story being told. It's a weird thing where like trying to make this fit into the prime Marvel universe is weird. If you let yourself think about it too much, sure. Like, is there an is there a narrator we're not hearing when when we read an Avengers issue? Like, is there is there a narrator that we we're not hearing when there's an X Men issue? Is this same the same machine or, witnessing all of that? Or or maybe whenever we get a omniscient narrator in any book, maybe it is, is it this machine. one? Yeah, is that's kind of that's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? it Very far reaching. It, it makes those omniscient narrators maybe a, a little more interesting because I usually hate those. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. But, uh, you know, this was a great, just, just, it's, you know, I hate using words like perfect because the internet has destroyed words like perfect. Mm -hmm. But, um, as far as a first issue goes, this is as close to that as I could. Yeah. And the the Eternals are a a tough challenge, right? Because 
yeah. even throughout this book, I, again, like I really like this series. I wouldn't say I love any of the characters, right? There's, we're not supposed to, we're though, not supposed right? to, I mean, yeah. which it's, it's can be tough to do. They're not villains. They're not heroes. I mean, they are heroes, but not in a heroic kind of sense. They're very self, right? Uh, it, uh, it really explores these concepts mm-hmm. and, and we kind of feel for their predicament. I think we can, we, we have our own kind of philosophical predicaments we can think about that are absolutely that these heightened characters really strip away all the day to day stuff and put these contradictions and philosophical problems again, right up top, just like right the darkness here is right up top. So sure. the, another, so a couple of, those are the, the big themes that are related yeah. to X-Men. There's a couple of smaller ones. There is uh, a moment where a mind wipe is performed to remove an important piece of information from the mind of a scientist, mm-hmm. which is right out of uh, what uh, Professor X did to Reed Richards. Yeah, I, again, can't it, I can't, that can't be a, a coincidence because it is so similar. It's almost exact, yeah. It's a one-to-one almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the next thing, there was a, a moment where there's some ritual battles going on that are kind of mm-hmm. like what happens on Krakoa, but those are just kind of off to the side, but a thing I noticed. Oh, yeah. And there mm-hmm. is, uh, in one of the one-shots especially, there's this being, Oranos, who mm-hmm. he says that if he dies, he has this fail-safe that will destroy the entire world. That sounds familiar. It sounds a lot so that like Moira, mm-hmm. when she was yep. a mutant, and she kind of still is maybe Mr. Sinister. Yeah. It's confusing. But anyway, back, back, if Moira, Moira dies, she had this mutant power that, yes, the world like ends, mm-hmm. but it kind of goes back and restarts from her birth, and she's the mm-hmm. only one who remembers this stuff. Exactly. If Oranos dies, the world just dies. It just it's done. Like, at least Earth does. I don't think it's the whole universe. It's like the whole Earth, the whole machine, all the people on it. Yeah. Oh, is your is Uranus, um that's Thanos's grandfather, great grandfather, grand uncle, grand uncle. Okay, he is, he is Druig's grandfather. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Thanos in that one shot, he kind of adopts him as a grandfather. Gotcha. At the end, he okay. calls him grandfather because they make this connection. Which you know, if Thanos and, and makes a connection with anybody, you know, they're not they're not really touchy feely. <laughs> uh, yeah, so to. I, again, I, these are issues that have been mentioned in the Eternals before, but we get mm-hmm. kind of flashback issues fleshing them out. So okay. let's just talk about Oranos because he's cool. Sure. This again happened way, way early in the history of the Eternals. Again, in their timeline, I don't know about publication timeline, mm-hmm. but early on. So we have these three rules, right? You have to uh, protect Celestials, protect the machine, mm-hmm. correct excess deviation. So deviation uh, on Earth, the Celestials created humans. Maybe, maybe not. It's been retconned so many times I can't tell. But they definitely created Eternals, mm-hmm. and they definitely created these creatures called the Deviants. Okay. So the Deviants, if the Eternals are eternal and unchanging, the Deviants, they are the changing people. They, every Deviant is like its own species, yes. and they're changing all the time. They're like, if, if Eternals are humans with a knob turned in one direction, Deviants are humans with a knob turned in the other direction. The other direction. So they're changing all the time, which, you know, can be a good thing, but they have this tendency to once in a while just turn into giant killer monsters and attack everybody. Mm-hmm. And that is excess deviation. Yes. And whenever one of these, these deviants goes excess. Are detected, yeah. Are detected. The, the Eternals have this physical response. They have to kill that deviant. They mm-hmm. have no choice. It's in the, as hardwired into the program as it can possibly be, they have to kill that, correct that excess deviation. Absolutely. So, Oranos is, you know, running around on ancient Earth, 
you know, killing any excess deviation. And also, he's he's not really happy with this work. He finds it annoying. He finds it a trial. And he comes up with this fantastic idea that will really simplify his life a lot. And uh, that idea is, hey, you know, if there's no deviance, then there can't be any excess deviation. For so sure. if we just kill them all. Wipe them out. And maybe kill all all other life on Earth too, because you know that could go wrong. <laughs> sure. But if if we just sanitize everything, that's really the best way to protect the machine, right? Because these are mm-hmm. anything that exists could be a threat to the could machine. Be a threat. Yeah. So if we kill everything that exists except for us, then there's no more threats to the machine. That and also, we can best serve this. We have to protect the Celestials. You know, if they're running around loose, they could get into mm-hmm. trouble. So really, to best protect them, we should figure out a way to put them in a cage too, and and then we can really keep a good eye on them. So he talks to his two brothers because this is a time there's really only three three Eternals in charge here. Him and oh, who are his brothers? One's uh, Kronos. Is Kronos one of them? No. Yeah, that's a yeah. Yeah, his his two brothers. Anyway, he talks to his brothers. They say, "Yeah, Oranos, you're you're nuts. That's that's not what the Celestials want us to do. They want us to protect this planet." They made the deviants. They must have a plan for them. Uh, so, Kronos yeah. and Oceanus. Right. Yeah. Oceanus. 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 Yeah. So, yeah, those two aren't on board. So, Orono says, okay, I brought it up. You voted it down. That's fine. And then he starts a war. Mm-hmm. This was like the first big schism among the Eternals. He has his group. That's our all. We're going to, they call it uh, Omni-Genocide is their, their ideology. <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to be on his side. And they want to kill everybody off. Uh, fast forward, they lose the war. Uh, they're doing pretty well, but Druig, who is uh, Ornos' grandson, and is going to be a, a major character in this whole book, he's he he betrays his grandfather, and that we don't see exactly what happens, but that's how the other two brothers capture Ornos. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to kill him off. And another thing that they do to uh, Eternals is if they start to kind of go wonky, if they kind of stray away from their main purpose, they just get mind wiped back to whatever really recording sad. of themselves they yeah. want to go back to which we've again another thing we've kind of talked about in x-men that you know mm-hmm. what parts of this rebirth you're brought back exactly the same can you exclude things from your memory but again there it's kind of touchy-feely oh if there's trauma i don't want to experience that trauma here is no, no you created trouble we're going to roll you back to when you weren't creating trouble because you you are a machine you have a purpose have a thing to do but orino says hey hey brothers uh, you can't do that because I created this failsafe. Yeah. If you kill me, I implanted the thing deal. in the machine, the whole machine comes down. And mm-hmm. the brothers don't know if he's bluffing. He's not really the bluffing type. You no, think, he isn't. Maybe he's bluffing. He's almost certainly not bluffing. Uh, they attack him psychically. They try to get into his brain. That's another thing internals can do. They can attack each other on his mental plane. But he's too strong. They can't get through. And they can't risk killing him off because, you know, that's the whole ballgame. So they lock mm-hmm. him up in what's called the exclusion, which yeah. is your eternal prison. You, it's again, I guess this is another uh, okay. parallel I didn't think of before. This is a lot yeah. like the pit. You, they could eternals. You can't kill them off. If you kill off an eternal, it is reborn by the machine right away. You can't control that. I guess you, you, could, you can control the rolling back, but you mm-hmm. can't say, "Hey, machine, don't bring this one back." This he's one? he's yeah. coming back. Mm-hmm. So they just lock him up in the exclusion. He's been there for however many million years it's been. Yeah. So that is out there hanging over everybody's heads. And so Uranus here, Uranus um, was actually born out of an issue of what if. Oh, really? How okay. bizarre is that? Back in uh, 1980. 
Very, very strange. So you'll start to notice that a lot of these characters, you know, Icarus and Oranos, have names that are either exactly like or like one tick off. Like a letter from, off. Yeah. yeah, from like mythological characters. And in, sure. in universe, we're told that, no, no, the Eternals existed first, but yeah. all our stories, again, this is one of those everything underlying the universe is this kind of stories. Mm-hmm. We're told that now all these myth- myths are really based, based on, inspired by yeah. misunderstood versions of the Eternals. Yes. Which is interesting. Very interesting mm-hmm. take to have. I mean, it's a, it almost feels like, uh, like something that could really happen. So it's, uh, it's pretty neat. Okay. So back to the, the main story. We have Icarus woke up mm-hmm. and he's told to let, uh, uh, Sprite, Sprite out of exclusion because she's been she's done some bad stuff in some other volume of Eternals yeah, that I have read. Real troublemaker. That's like kind of the whole character is like an yeah. impish troublemaker. You yeah, know? your 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 puck, your trickster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that kind of archetype. And yeah, you know, she's a girl now. I guess she used to be a a she was like a, a little boy. Yeah. Now she looks like a little girl again to match up with with what the movie looks like. But that's fine. That's what they, this is another element of the rebirth here is they can choose how they come back or they can come back in different genders, different races, different looks. It makes it very convenient when there's a movie out. Um, but you know, if you can actually write it into the story and make it make sense, right? Whatever. Yeah. And I don't have long-term history with the Eternals to really judge how well Gillen run, rolls with these changes. But as yeah. somebody coming new to it, it, it seems fine to me. And, and like we said earlier, I mean, these aren't so much characters as they are right. purposed things. So it's like, we're not like throwing out a whole bunch of characterization here. Yeah. And then whatever characterization they have, they do bring with them. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think there's a lot of people out there who like grew up with the Eternals as their favorite characters, right? Yeah. They got the voice sprite poster on the wall. Right. There's, there's yeah. no, you know, Icarus underoos. Nobody, nobody had, no, nobody grew up with these Eternals rules as like the mantra, like great power, great responsibility. No, these, this is just kind of the weird stuff in the background. So to, to, to change it, I think is, is just fine. Not a big deal. But the initial mystery in this book is that there's somebody running around using these special kind of eternal transits, transporters, things throughout the earth, killing mm. off different. Transporters. Oh, again, oh, the gates. My goodness. I, you found another one to put on the list. These uh, they've got these gates that only Eternals can this use. This Hickman is very creative. <laughs> I know. Wow. To me, you know, to to me, it seems like uh, the X Men stuff existed first. But yeah, you know, I don't know what who stole from whom. I've got my theories. I, I'm pretty sure that this. Uh, I kind of look at Hickman as the current day Bendis, where like if a movie's on the horizon, he's going to be the one who pitches for it. Like anytime Bendis would get a book, it's like, oh, I guess hmm. this is either going to be a Netflix show or a movie, and every time it was. I think Hickman's similar wow. in that uh, regard. That is and a really interesting meta theory. I think we let bubble away in the background that the Hickman X Men pitch was originally supposed to be an Eternals pitch, but God, if I if I had money to bet, huh? Again, mm. completely unprovable, but a funny thing to put in the back of your mind and think about a little bit, a little bit. But you've got to think. I mean, Eternals are kind of minor league compared with the Major League X Men, so I don't think he minded too much being given the X Men. No, no, certainly not. Certainly not. I'm sure the the X Men books are sell were selling a lot better than the Eternals books, unfortunately, or I guess whichever one. So there's somebody popping around murdering Eternals, which is really hard to do because they're Eternals. Yeah. And uh, I guess we'll reveal it now because we're not telling the mystery. This is sure. Thanos. Yeah. So this arc is called "Only Death Is Eternal," and we have Thanos popping around, and Thanos Russian heads. Thanos is. Again, I think he's a character whose origin has been retconned so much to make anyone's head spin. Mm-hmm. But in the current telling, Thanos is 
sort of, kind of, but not really an eternal. Yeah. So Eternals don't – we're given eternal families. We're told that here's a grandfather and the son and then the grandson. We're, we're given these families, but they didn't reproduce that way like, like people or mutants do. Sure. They were created by the Celestials as to have the nature of family. Mm-hmm. But at one point, and this is retold in one of the one shots. Which of the one shots was that? You, the, well, the heretic was a uh, was a Uranus one, right? Was, um, yes. Which one was it? Oh boy. Any anyway, so we have this is a, a a story that's been fleshed out here. We find out that there was that Ornos Thanos rises. Was, Thanos, Thanos rises. Okay. Rises. There was one schism that was Ornos trying to do the omni genocide thing, and mm-hmm. this other schism happened because. Alars wanted to have biological reproduction among the Eternals. Among the Eternals, yeah. Right. And again, he made this point that, oh, we can serve the machine better if we make more of us. And everybody else said, yeah, no, that's crazy. We're Eternals. Mm-hmm. That's that's changing, right? And changing yeah, is the deviation. We yeah. don't change. That's why they call us Eternals. Mm-hmm. And there's another war. And this doesn't exactly come to an end. There's a lot of people on both sides. And this was all wiped out afterwards, right? Everybody who was involved in this war was, you know, died and rolled back. And so yeah, they don't even back. know what side they were on. For which sure. is kind of crazy. And we, you know, you find out that characters who are always together or on opposite sides here. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But the, the upshot of this war is that he's going to give Alars, who takes the name Mentor, a chance. Okay. Okay. We're going to send you off to this other planet, uh, back where these other Oranos people kind of had their stand. Mm-hmm. This is over on the on Titan, right? The moon of Saturn? This is Titan, yeah. Which is confusing because there are Titans. There's mm-hmm. a moon called Titan, and there's a city called Titanos. Titanos, uh, yeah. This is Titan, the actual... The Titans where uh, Thanos came from, like characters like Star Fox, I believe, came from Titan. Yes. Um, yeah. And again, those were all retconned exactly what Titans are. But yeah. in this book, we find out that, so uh, Alar slash Mentor goes to Titan, finds this other Eternal called, I'm just going to say Susan. Yeah, Susan or Susan. It's spelled S U I dash S A N. I'm going to go with Susan. It looks like Susan. Susan and yeah. like she was, she hasn't come back, but she's still kind of, you know, she was part of these other group of heretics. So she's been hanging mm-hmm. out on Titan and, uh, mentor shows up there and says, Hey, 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 baby, how are you interested in, you know, making some babies? And really? she, she apparently over time, this grows together. They build a city and they can't, I'm sure they had fun trying. But they mm-hmm. can't actually manage to come up with a way to create biologically life. new Eternals, yeah. new life. Mm-hmm. And they uh, appeal to, I think it's it's Alars's father, right? Kronos. I believe so. Kronos, the, uh, this, the brother of This Eternals. is another crazy big Eternals concept. So Kronos was an Eternal, mm-hmm. and he was doing these experiments to make himself a god, basically. Give him giant godlike powers. Yeah. And he kind of succeeds because mm-hmm. it's like a lab accident. It's, it's almost like the flash, yeah. uh, where, you know, there's some burst of energy and it kind of kills his body, but, but it makes his spirit into this yeah. huge cosmic entity, which is Kronos, which is, he's like the cosmic entity responsible for time. Time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, these huge things that when these giant cosmic concepts show up in a Marvel book, you go, uh oh, we're having. Mm-hmm. Whatever the equivalent Marvel term is for a crisis, something yeah. something big is changing. So he exists as a huge cosmic entity, but his body is also reborn back on Earth 
in the exclusion. Exclu- was it excluded? Yeah. It was excluded. Like he's like his body is reborn and they say, you are really naughty for trying to be a god. <laughs> We're going to lock you up for eternity next to, you know, next to Oranos, basically. Yeah. So he exists in two places at once. But the cosmic mm-hmm. version of him, you know, uh, a mentor basically prays to his cosmic father and Kronos gives him these wedding bands. And these wedding bands are in the quantum. This bands, was right? crazy because I've read, I haven't read a whole lot of old Marvels, but I've read Quasar and Quasar Ooh. has these weapons. Oh, I like Quasar. And these <laughs> weapons called the cosmic bands, which do whatever yeah. crazy cosmic stuff has to happen. Whatever but, they need to do. But the retcon here is those cosmic bands were Mentor and Susan's wedding band. Nice. Which, which I kind of love. And you actually, you oh, see yeah. some of these, uh, you know, these, these crazy cosmic characters at their wedding because Kronos, if if these uh, two crazy kids are going to start a family, he wants them to you know to be legally wedded. So he presides over a marriage. They have wedding bands, and these quantum bands are the key that allow biological reproduction among the two. Mm-hmm. So great, you know, problem solved, right? And uh, so they have two sons. And I, were they twins or were these separate births? I don't think it's too clear right now. I don't know that it's been clarified. I think it's just they have, which is they fine. Have they the have kids. two sons. Yeah. These two sons are Eros. Also known as Star Fox, right? Star Fox and Thanos, so, right? Right. And so Star Fox, he kind of wanders around the Marvel Universe and like the Guardians of the Galaxy sometime, that end of things. But their other son is Thanos. Yeah. And he must be the second born because as soon as he's born, he's this monstrosity. And not only, he doesn't just look ugly. I guess his, his mother, Susan, can tell. That he is just he's going to be evil. He's he's bad to the bone. He's yeah, you know there's nothing good about him. We've made a horrible mistake. She kind of goes crazy as soon as he's born, and he grows up to be the Thanos we all know and love hate. And mm-hmm. he doesn't really like existing. He's you know as you can tell by his name, he's, he's really with death. He's obsessed yeah. with death, mm-hmm. and he kills his mother. He kills his father, which means of course that they wake up back on Earth. And, uh, in the machine. yeah, in the machine, and everybody says, yeah, so I guess that wasn't a great idea. Now we made Thanos. <laughs> and they're kind of like, you back, though. they're kind of like, okay, yeah, you got us. You win the argument. We made Thanos. And they get, they get stuck in the exclusion. But then Thanos is wandering around, uh, in the universe doing all the horrible things Thanos does. And, uh, so S- Susan dies first, and she's put in the cell in exclusion, mm-hmm. and eventually, mentor dies as well he's put right next to her but told yeah your wife she doesn't want to have anything to do with you she doesn't want to talk to you she doesn't want to know you oh and by the way uh mentor in your cell every time thanos kills a being we're going to light up one pixel Mm -hmm. and within like a week there's this the wall is glowing like the sun and mentor goes blind so he's been existing in this blinding light blinded for however many however long thousands millions years this happened so that is the story of thanos which i don't know how much of that is new but it it was a lot of fun seeing that on the page making it fit the way they did um you know there there are retcons that i feel like take away from a character and that uh make a character less special and then there are ones that make them feel more special and more ingrained in like the tapestry of the universe and of um just the various franchises that they're involved in. And I think this was definitely a value added one for Thanos. And Thanos, I mean, he is kind of like the big character now. 
is he still showing up in movies? I mean, he snapped his fingers and everybody thought that was ha ha hilarious. Yeah, but, he's, uh, he was the big bad of that run of mm-hmm. the Avengers movies. And okay. I think they're moving on past him. So he's okay. not, he's not around. In the, in the, not they're they're kind of, them. they're looking around for the next big bad to match up with Thanos. And so far they mm-hmm. haven't found one. Okay. I think there, mm-hmm. there are hints of who it might be, but there's, there's no, there's nobody in the Marvel universe yet to, to match to what Thanos was leading up to Endgame. Maybe they, could, maybe they could use Kang, and that'll bore everybody, and they'll stop seeing the movies. Oh, I, uh, I, I don't want to tell you, Chris, but um, yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of happening. Oh, Lord, really? Yeah, yeah oh. for real. Oh, but we're, no. we're not talking about that. Okay, that's, yeah, that. Yeah, Chris doesn't watch the movies. He doesn't want to know about the movies, so we're not even going down the path. The Eternals. So this first arc Eternals. of Eternals, the, the main idea is to figure out, okay, who who's the bad guy? They found out pretty quickly. Thanos is running around, you know, killing dudes. Yeah, the end of the uh, very first but, issue. Yeah, yeah, the end of the first issue, the, the yeah. last page reveal is, oh, crap, it's Thanos. It's Thanos. Yeah. For a last page reveal, he's a pretty good one. Yeah, but then can do far worse. he's been given access to the machine, and that can only be done by an Eternal, mm-hmm. so there must be a traitor within the ranks. And who is that and why is that is what the whole first arc is about. Mm-hmm. And and spoilers, it's Fastos, who, if you've seen the movie, which I know you haven't, he's a mm-hmm. character in the, in the movie. His, his deal is he, he's like a scientist, an engineer really more than a scientist. He creates technology and he's mostly responsible for keeping the machine running. And like good working job. Yeah. Right. And why would he bring Thanos around to you know, be killing people? And why is the machine acting kind of crazy? And what mm. we find out is that he learned a secret about eternal resurrection. It's, okay. it's not costless, right? The, the X-Men, they resurrect. I mean, there's some life loss that kind of created that weird little patchwork the stuff man. That, yeah, the stuff that right. Onslaught ate. Right, yeah. Onslaught stuff. But there's, I mean, you bring somebody back, you know, if you ignore the philosophical soul type questions, you know, it's kind of costly. Sure, yeah, the uh, the five have to do a little bit of work, but, you know, all, in, yeah. all the days work for them. It's all sweat equity. Yeah, it's not, like a, it's not like a huge loss. But what Fastos learns, and I guess some of the Eternals knew already, is that every time an Eternal is resurrected, that very last step where they're kind of given us, you know, the, the husk is brought back to life in, uh, mm-hmm. in X-Men terms. The cost of that is one human life. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how that human is chosen, but because of a prophecy that Icarus sees, when he's brought back to life, he knows the this human that Robson, died. This, right? this is a uh, Toby, Toby Robson, Toby, Toby Robson. Robson. Yeah. And right, so he he knew that he saw a prophecy that Toby Robeson, who we didn't know who that was at the time, is is going to die, and that he saw himself apologizing for failing him, yeah, apologizing at his gravesite. Right, so yeah. he he's he's uh, guarding Toby. He sets Sprite to take him to school and guard him. There's some cool, such a weird. Oh, I some love cool this. scenes that happen with that because so again, he's just a hero. Oh lord, Icarus is basically your Superman analog, right? He yeah. flies, he shoots beams out of his eyes. But he's he completely he's lacks Earth, he completely lacks the touchy feely human side of Kal El. No right? personality. He, he is just yeah. pure. He's the hero. His job is to save people, but he doesn't have a choice. He doesn't do it because you know Pa taught him to be good. Yeah. He does it because that is what he does in the world. Oh, and it's just such a haunting scene having him at the at, at the Robeson home, like drinking a cup of coffee, floating above their house, and people gathering and seeing this. Just godlike character, just there, emotionless. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's amazing. Rabich killed it. Oh, it's beautiful. 
beautiful it's, one. It's great, but he doesn't know that the, he thinks that you know somebody's going to come and kill Toby. Toby. Yeah, so he, he says, "Okay, I'm going to save this kid. I'm that that future is not going to happen. Him. I'm yeah. going to protect him." He doesn't know that his death and resurrection is what kills Toby. Yes. So he's going to go and apologize to the family, but he is stopped by this other crazy uh, Eternals character who is the Jack of Knives, right? I think so. Yes. So uh, there's just this, it's stepping into the Eternals feels like stepping into this huge world. Again, for me, it's my, really my first view of the Eternals. I don't know how much of this world exists, has been written about, but I really enjoy the exploring it. It feels like a cool place mm-hmm. to be. So for there sure. are these, I, there's these, these, the, the Jacks or the Knives. Anyway, there's this group of people, uh, are the tricks is what they are. The Jack the of Knives, yeah. the Knight Ungallant, the Queen of Maces, and Ivani Golden Touch. Mm-hmm. I haven't met any of those other three. I've only met Jack, but I'm, mm-hmm. these are pretty cool. They're, they're mm-hmm. Eternals, but they're kind of like the crime Sex. lords of the Eternal yeah. world. They're not really part of the main society. You're like, if you want to hire somebody to do, you know, they're a dirty job, they're yeah. done really expensive, you hire them. And mm-hmm. when, uh, Icarus goes to reveal this eternal secret to the Robesons and explain what happened, why their kid's dead and why it's his fault, uh, Jack of Knives says, you can't do that. Anyone you share the secret to, again, the secret of resurrection, another thing. Another another X-Men deal. Another parallel. But if you share the secret of eternal resurrection, I, Jack of Knives, have been hired to kill that person. So anyone who knows the knowledge, you're not helping anybody by saying this. I will kill them. And Mm -hmm. Icarus knows that Jack is not bluffing. He's going to do this. He doesn't know why or who hired him. But... uh, Somebody doesn't want the secret to get out. For sure. For sure. So that is, is really that first arc is about all the other Eternals learning their secret. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this, uh, secret behind the resurrection, the cost. Of- yeah. So what, what did you think of that, that first overall arc? Such a surprise. Such an amazing surprise here. Um, you know, I, like I said, going into this, I, I did not want to read Eternals. I, I was very dismissive of it. Um, I thought that oh we're, you know we're doing the cash the movie cash in here it's going to be nothing it's going to just be you know the the Bendis movie book you know the book that's going to be very surface level not really add anything to the mythos and really just be there for the one or two people who see the movie and decide to wander into a comic book store and I was wrong mm-hmm. I was dead wrong now Marvel has been doing like one shots for every movie and it's written by uh, Ralph Ralph Macchio or Macchio. Gets every time a movie comes out, there's there's a one shot, and it's always just it's always just the super super basic. Here's the character retelling his backstory. Yeah, Yeah. it just and that's not at all what this is. This is it has some of the cosmetic stuff from the movie, but is otherwise not at all connected. And really, its own very strong story. So at the end of this arc, we find okay, Fastos, you brought Thanos back. The connection between okay, he learns a secret. Therefore, he brings Thanos back is not super obvious. Yeah. But what, what, uh, Fastos thinks is, Hey, I can, I can just turn off the part of the machine that does the resurrection. It does the stuff. Yeah. Right. It's like you can break part of your computer, but keep the rest of the computer going. He thinks he can do that. Turn and he uses, right. And he uses Thanos. He brings back Thanos, but brings him back because in other books, Thanos died in the black hole. Yeah. That was uh, cosmic stuff. That's a whole other podcast. So he mm-hmm. brings Thanos back, but in kind of a, a crippled body. Mm-hmm. He's still really, really strong, but he's not, not fully, the Thanos. He's yeah. not full Thanos. He's not fully integrated into the machine. So he can use the transits 
he can do some eternal kind of stuff, but he can't resurrect. But he's beatable. He's beatable. Yeah. And if he dies, he doesn't come back. Yeah. So Thanos, he's being used as a tool. So Fasto says, I, I'm using you to do the stuff I need done. But what I if have he dies on other world? Yeah. <gasps> oh, man. <laughs> these, these parallels are crazy. Never mind. Never mind. So uh, <laughs> these, I've, I've installed a failsafe in you, Thanos, that if you get out of line, I can mentally push a button and kill you off. So you can't betray me. I, I have this, I have this ha- hanging over your head. So he's, he tells Thanos switch. that if you do what I tell you, I'll restore you fully. Thanos knows he's lying. Everybody knows everybody else is lying, but they kind of have each other at an impasse, right? Thanos has mm-hmm. to work for Fastos, at least for now, because he's got no other choice. And plus, what Fastos tells him is, hey, kill some Eternals. And Thanos just says, oh, that's fine by sure. me. I don't, I don't oh, mind that, uh, that one bit. Yeah. So. That's a good Sunday. That's going on. So he's the real, Fastos is the real traitor, but Druig kind of makes this side deal with Thanos. So Druig is, he's not a, a trickster. He's not a traitor. He's, they, they describe him as a snake. Mm-hmm. Every eternal kind of, they all kind of have similar powers, but they have like stronger in one direction or another. And Druig's strength is in mental manipulation. It can, yeah. Which again is seen in the movie for those people who have seen the movie. Uh, so Druig inserts when they're, when they're fighting, uh, Druig inserts like a little invitation to Thanos, like, hey, come back and see me on, on the side. Maybe we can make a deal. Uh, Druig is upset that, uh, there's a traitor and it's not him. He thinks, yeah. like, that's, that's, that's my deal. I want to be in on this. So mm-hmm. he and he, he kind of makes a deal to be Thanos's right hand snake. And what Druig can do is he goes into Fastos's mind right at the surface and removes that knowledge of how to kill Thanos, mm-hmm. that kill switch. So now Thanos doesn't have to listen to Fastos anymore. So now the the uh, the job is okay. How do we kill off Thanos now that we all know what's going on? And oh by the way, this machine, uh, we thought we could. Fastos thought he could just break the resurrection machine part, but it turns out that if you break that part, the whole machine starts to self destruct, and it's going to kill the whole world. And uh oh, mm-hmm. and the only one who can save it, who's strong enough to kind of resist it. Physically, bodily, in the machine that's blowing up to fix the one span or whatever co- you know, cosmic Kirby Gigaw that has to be fixed. It has to be Icarus. He dies in the process. He does fix the machine, so the world is saved at least for the first arc. But he dies and he resurrects, and that's when Toby dies. Toby, yeah. So at the end of this first arc, all the Eternals, at least the main Eternals that we follow, know the secret. They're not happy about it. And they head off to live in this, this uh, city called Lemuria, which is the city of the deviants. There's like a million deviants living there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say, yeah, we want to. Uh, it was a big reveal at the end uh, or toward the end of the first issue as well, where it's like we have our listing of Eternals and then we have the listing of deviants and it goes on forever. Yeah. Like it's supposed to like, like it's one of 10,000 pages. Yeah, because we thought it was like a one-to-one, you know, it, like there's an Eternal for an a deviant. When they were created, there was a hundred and a hundred. Yeah, but so one deviants one are the changing people, and they can they can be they can, exactly. So we saw that page, and uh, wow, that was that was one of those shoe drop moments. It's like pretty cool stuff. So the end is as oh, the uh, the Eternals showing up, and the Deviants freaking out because they know the Eternals. Their point is to you know eventually kill them because every Deviant yes. is eventually going to submit go excessive, go excessive yeah. whether it's in a week or in thousands of years. It's going to happen. So it's like you're seeing your, exe- your executioner just kind of hanging around your neighborhood, which is going to make exactly. anybody nervous. But mm-hmm. this is where the Eternals, 
decide to hang out. All right, so now we head into the second and final arc of this Eternals miniseries. This arc is called Hail Thanos. Mm -hmm. So we've got Thanos out there. He's currently allied with Druid, at least as as much allied as as you can people be. as as beings like yeah. Thanos and Druid can ally with anybody, right? Mm -hmm. They kind of need each other, and they all want to kill each other. Yes. So. Thanos wants to be reintegrated with the machine so he can resurrect into a full body. And she's like, Druig, you're the, you're the smart guy, the Eternal. How am I going to do this? So Druig says, you know, if you're the prime Eternal, if you're kind of in charge of the whole Eternal society, you have access to everything. Yeah. So that should give you all the knowledge you need to figure out how to hook up the machine. Sounds good to Thanos, but the idea of him being elected prime Eternal sounds kind of crazy. This I think there's probably meant to be some parallels here with crazy people winning elections, but we are not even going to take a step in that direction. If you no, want to draw those parallels, You're go for to. it. We're just going to be here in fantasy world. Mm -hmm. That's what so, we like it. Zorus had been the Prime Eternal, and he was one of the first ones killed off by Thanos in that first arc. So they need to form this Unimind thing again, which is where they're going to make Zorus the Prime Eternal again, kind of restore the status quo ante. It's going to be rubber stamp, they all figure. So mm -hmm. a lot of them don't even show up, right? The characters we know, most of them are off in Lemuria. There's other bits of Eternal Society that, you know, that they don't really care about this. So they form this Unimind, the ones who bother to show up to vote. Uh, again, not going there. Mm -hmm. And Druig and Thanos kind of jump into the last minute because Thanos is hooked up enough to the machine to be able to join the Unimind. So again, he's kind of half in, half out of yeah. the Eternal world. And we don't see how it all goes down there in that psychic realm. But upshot is that, yeah, Thanos wins. Thanos is now the Prime Eternal. He's in charge of all mm -hmm. Eternal society. He's in charge of the machine. He's in charge of the exclusion. He's in charge of everything. He's running the show. Uh-oh. So uh he then immediately kills off Druig because Thanos is no fool. He mm -hmm. figures that... Druig must have must have held on to this knowledge of the failsafe. You know, Fastos says kill Thanos is kill switch. So I'm going to kill you off now. Roll you back because now he's prime eternal. He can control such things. He's in charge of where people resurrect. So anybody who dies resurrects in Thanos's custody. Basically. Yeah. So kills Druig off. Rolls him back. Uh, Druig wakes up, <laughs> realizes, oh, I work for Thanos now, and I was trying to beat Thanos at something. And clearly Thanos won. Oh, well, got to make the best of this bad situation. I'm now going to suck up to Thanos as hard as I possibly can, <laughs> which is what he does. So our Eternals are in Lemuria. And I guess because they're connected to the machine, they eventually learn that, oh, uh, yeah, Thanos is prime eternal now. And they don't they don't take that news very well. No. Now, Thanos can't, can't still can't figure out how to make himself connected to the machine. He's prime eternal. Even with the knowledge he has, not good enough. He says, hey, Fastos created my body. He must have all the information I need. That's my next goal. Get Fastos. Now, Fastos is in Lemuria with the rest of the one, the Eternals we know. So Thanos takes this uh, Oceanic Guard, which is Oceanus and some of his pals. And this is like a, they, they hang out right outside Lemuria with like big old bombs to attack Lemuria whenever the Prime Eternal tells them to. Yeah. Thanos is Prime Eternal. Thanos says, hey, you guys listen to me, attack Lemuria. So they go and attack, kill off untold thousands of deviants. It's really pretty creepy. 
It's and uh, we get this really neat thing where the art changes. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the real world, this was probably done because Asada Beach needed some time. I think it was a schedule thing. So they, cha- they change artists, but the our narrator, the machine, tells us, you know, this is so awful. Maybe if I show it to you in a different way, it won't be quite so awful. So we get a change of I art where it's yeah. yeah, it's it's less. Again, it was it's less realistic. It's more cartoony. It's more dark lines and bold colors. It's still horrific. And at the end, the machine says, "Yeah, well, that didn't work. I did my best." <laughs> but I, I think that was a cool way of selling. You know, oh, we, the art's going to look different for like ten pages here. Yeah. Deal with it. Sure, sure. Not very, very and, smart uh, way to do it. Yeah, and there's this this neat subplot you, you can you can read about folks who want to read the series where uh, Thena is in a relationship with one of the deviants, uh, an artist. And I guess mm-hmm. this is part of Thena's thing. She kind of gets into romantic relationships with deviants, even though she's eternal. Thena's an eternal, yeah. She is an eternal. Yes, yeah. she and they're not eternals, but you know she kind of crossing right, the line. Everybody has their preferences, and, yeah. and that's hers. <laughs> And we get this this cool thing where he creates this work of art where it's a statue of the two of them, where Athena is made of this adamantium type metal, and in the image of himself, the deviant is made out of meat that's going to rot. So again, not very subtle. But they're <laughs> deviants; they're not subtle. So Thanos wants to get Fastos. He shows up and kind of uses this artist as uh, hostage to get the information on Th- on Fastos. Uh, long story short. He finds out where Fastos is. He kills Fastos, which is fine with him because, you know, Fastos is going to wake up back in the exclusion. Yep. And the artist succumbs to excess deviation and has to be murdered to death by his lover, Thena, which mm-hmm. is very tragic and artistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I thought that was, it would, it's, when I say it just in five sentences, it sounds kind of crass, but I think in the, in the book itself, it, it comes off really well. Mm-hmm. Off Thena was, uh, she was introduced in the first arc. And I think it was a Cersei that uh, visited with her, correct? Yes. We had a flashback with the two of them talking yeah. about how in the past she had a relationship with a deviant. With deviants. Yeah. yeah. And it had gone badly and that deviant was doing nasty stuff. So yeah, th- this is kind of the contrast between Cersei and Thena is Cersei is, uh, wants nothing to do with the deviants and Thena thinks that Eternals can learn from them and wants sure. to be part of their society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a nice uh, philosophical uh, schism there. Mm-hmm. So Fastos wakes up back in the exclusion, and Thanos gets all the knowledge he can out of Fastos, still not enough to fully connect him with the machine. It's, it's mm-hmm. just not working. So uh, it the next thing Thanos does is, this is when we get the Oranos story, where mm-hmm. he goes back and talks to his granduncle, and uh, his granduncle shares with him, and only him secretly, the key to his armory, and that is the the, the blow up Earth button. Yeah. So Thanos has that, and Thanos says, "Well, I can." Oh, I, and he also uh, communes with his father and mother, and he and Druid goes into his father's mind, take the complete set of information on how Thanos was created, everything there is to know about the birth of Thanos. Thanos now knows, still can't integrate himself in with his damn machine, and Thanos is is proud of this because he realizes that he has taken control of his own destiny, unlike the Eternals, right? Yeah, the Eternals are slaves of the machine. Mm-hmm. But Thanos says, I have made my, yes, you made me, you mm-hmm. gave birth to me, but I, have but I have changed myself. Mm-hmm. I have the freest of free will in the entire universe. I have changed myself so much 
that I cannot be integrated in the machine, which that's kind of a wow moment. I thought that mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of, you know, step, integrate, 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 and then he can't, but it's for a reason that makes total sense with what we know about Thanos. Yeah. So what is there to do? I can't possibly activate a part of the machine, so I'm just going to blow up the machine. I'm going to use this armory button, activate the countdown, Earth's going to blow up. Because screw Earth, I don't need it anymore, I'm Thanos. Meanwhile, our Eternals, they need to get some more information about this kill switch. Because they think, hey, if we can get this kill switch back online, that's how we can get rid of our whole Thanos problem. The only way they can figure out how to do this is to commune with their dead god, which is the one the Avengers are currently living in. So there's a kind of a, a neat couple of scenes where they sneak into Avengers Mountain, they distract the various Avengers in various ways. Uh, and they do basically a seance where Ajak, one of the priestesses, you know, chants this binary code because mm-hmm. they're, they're celestials. And, okay, yeah. sure, go with it. Why not? Mm-hmm. And, uh, talks to the ghost and eventually gets angry with the ghost and somehow beats up the ghost with a flail. I don't know how that works. I thought that was a little sketchy, mm-hmm. but anyway, she's the believer. She's the most celestial worshiping, worshiping of these celestial worshipers and she learns the super secret of the Eternals' existence, which is that, you know, we know we're not as important as the humans, but it turns out we're not even as important as the friggin' Deviants. Yeah. And this is also unclear, but somehow the Deviants interact with that cosmic necrofluid goo, and they're a key part of that goo not killing off all these weird superhero types when they get read by the goo. Mm-hmm. They're like part of that system somehow. It's not super well explained, but upshot is that, hey, the Eternals are now down another rung <laughs> in the hierarchy of importance, and like she, she's really all bent out of shape on this. But at this point, uh, they end up fighting the Avengers because, of course, you can fight the they Avengers. Yeah. They have to. And uh, this is when they all get the message, oh, they self-destruct everybody. Planet's going to end soon. They tell the Avengers just enough. They don't tell them the secret of resurrection. That's still a secret. But they tell them, oh, oops, sorry, Thanos is back. He's someplace only Eternals can go. So how about you let us leave this whole fight now so the planet doesn't die? And the Avengers say, oh, okay, you make a good point. Go take care of that. that. And they run off to where Thanos is. So mm-hmm. now we're at our, our final battle. The Earth Destruct is counting down. They're trying to fight Thanos. He's not fully Thanos yet, but he's still damn strong. Pretty strong. Yeah. Pretty strong. And it it really is a complete deus ex machina here. I mean, because as it gets to a certain... They don't do anything to make this ending happen. They could have stayed fighting the Avengers. They could have stayed having their little, little bubble baths with Namor. And what happens is the failsafe kicks in. Druig, way back before Thanos killed him, took that, that fail-safe information and hid it in the machine mm-hmm. and put in a trigger that if Thanos ever tries to kill the whole world, the fail-safe kicks in and takes out Thanos. Okay, I, I, that makes sense for Druig to do. For sure. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not so dramatic because this is something that happened way back in the past. And when it kicks in, again, it kind of looks like Thanos is taken over by fungus, right? Mm-hmm. How else yeah. would you describe that? It is very fungal. Yeah, it's um like parasitic. It just, it doesn't... Uh, I, I don't understand it. 
Yeah, it's again at this last issue. I think is kind of the weakest one of the series. Mm-hmm. It's it's still okay. It doesn't take away the greatness of the rest of it, but it sure. There's a lot of wait. Really, is that what you're going to do? Moments, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. So Thanos is completely nerfed, and Druig kicks him. I think it says he kicks Thanos into the time stream, whatever that. Means. So Thanos is not dead yeah. because Thanos has to be out there somewhere to come back because he's Thanos. But he's gone enough that Druig and the other he's turtles can now access. He's no longer Prime Eternal. He's been, I'm not going to, okay. Deposed. He's out of of power. (laughs) We can turn off the self-destruct mechanism. Earth's not going to die. Hey, I'm Druig. I'm the big hero. Mm -hmm. He's the snake, but I guess in the end, he is both the cause of and the solution to this this big old problem. Sure. So there's off, off panel, there must be another Unimind, and we choose a new Prime Eternal, and for reasons kind of only hinted at, it's going to be Druid. Mm-hmm. I guess he plays up his whole heroic aspect and somehow wins the votes. Doesn't really matter. He's in charge now. He's there now. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so he talks to the machine. He says, hey, machine, uh, we know that the deviants were important. So the deviants are now kind of mixed into human DNA. I don't know if that's like literally they, you know, made offspring together. Maybe, maybe not. Not super clear. Mm-hmm. But hey, computer, hey, machine, show me on Earth where the most deviancy is. Mm-hmm. And the computer shows him, first it's like everywhere, but yeah. then you kind of adjust the contrast mm-hmm. and says there's two islands, two bright spots. And one of those spots is, of course, Lemuria, where mm-hmm. the deviants live. Where they live. Surprise right. there. And the other island is, and and you're not going to believe me, Chris, when I tell you, Uh-oh. that what other island, <laughs> what other island could it be? It is, of course, Krakoa. Uh-huh. So what we, what we learn is, at least in Druig's mind, these mutants arose, I mean, first they were the children of the atom, and then they were the X-gene, and now we find out that the true, true, true secret of mutantdom is that they arose from a cross between deviants and humans. And humans. So an island full of mutants is really an island full of deviants. Hybrid deviants. Yeah. Hybrid deviants. And you know, maybe that could be okay as long as, as long as they don't get too excessive, right? Mm-hmm. There's only, we're not going to do the Uranite heresy again. That was kill everybody who might possibly deviate. Sure. We're only going to kill the ones who get excessive about it. Mm-hmm. And then these mutants, they're kind of taking over kind of the running of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're kind of definitely taking over all of Mars. So deviancy is spreading. From Earth, from another planet, yeah. and Druig says, "Hey, that that seems kind of excessive to I me. I want to deal with that, right? So that is our ending of our Eternals mini maxi series, and where we're clearly pointed directly towards conflict between the Eternals and the Prime Eternal Druig and the X Men, aka Deviant. Mm-hmm. And I think the Eternals are going to come with a copyright claim first, <laughs> right? That's <laughs> that's the first so, thing." So that's where we are. We have, wow, we've successfully told all the story that needs to be told mm-hmm. so that people can head into this issue coming out in, well, I think Just one day, day yeah. after this, mm-hmm. a day after this uh, podcast airs. And that's going to be the, the prelude to Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't read that yet myself. I know what the, uh, copies are floating around in the uh, sure. you know, review world. I haven't read it myself yeah. yet. But Just uh, put a block on hashtag X spoilers because right. we, uh, people love spoiling that stuff. We can see where, where conflict is, is definitely coming from. For sure. For sure. So this was, I really love this series. Again, the last issue kind of fell a little flat, probably because it had to point, we had to get to this. We event. had to get you through know, it. Yeah. Maybe, 
I don't know when the decision was made that, hey, there's going to be an event, but but maybe this series had to change direction at some point to match up with that. I was going to say, it feels, like the, it feels like the event came before the cancellation because like, I, I, ex- I fully expected you know the next Arc of Eternals, the third Arc of Eternals, to be tie-ins with the event. And then as more and oh, more right. uh, yeah. months... At least the, the yeah. last few issues of Eternals did have that Judgment Day is Coming uh, trade dress. Oh, yeah, and, and, and a few oh, of the Avengers yeah. did as well. And uh, X-Men, the flagship the X-Men book is, does as well. But mm-hmm. I was, I thought there would be a third arc of Eternals. I thought there'd be like an issue 13 on. And I thought that was going to tie in with the event and then pick up the status quo, whatever, wherever it may lay after that. I was kind of surprised when I found out that this book was coming to an end, especially with uh, sort of, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a huge, it wasn't burn up the sales charts or anything, but it was launched with a lot of pomp and circumstance. It was, you know, the cover of Marvel previews for a few months. Um, it, it's uh, coming the number out of a one movie. got a, a ton of variant covers. Oh yeah, a, a, a ridiculous amount of variants. Uh, even, you know, I I missed the I missed issue twelve uh, on my mail order, and I actually had to go to the store uh, to buy it. And um, the stores around me will only order like one or two copies of the real cover. So I got right. a friggin' scroll variant. Oh no! In 2022, a frig- who is asking for a damn scroll variant in 2022? Nobody. Not movie me. fans. Movie fans. Are the scrolls like in the movies now? Oh yeah. Oh jeez. Oh yeah. Oh. That's 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 where they are. Again, oh, sorry, sorry to break it to you, but that's that's why we we need we need to, what was that what was that uh that last se- the last season of Lost? We need to go back. We need to go back. We need to uh, fix speak, this. Speaking of things that ended poorly, yeah, <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> uh, but, but so yeah, I w- I would love to have the Eternals continue because again, I I really like this series. But Kieran Gillen mm-hmm. is he's running the event. He's the showrunner. Yeah, he is writing mm-hmm. uh, Immortal X Men, which mm-hmm. so far is a, a really good series too. Wonderful, wonderful. So series. I would I would love to dream that after the event is done. We get him back writing Eternals. Doesn't seem likely to be. It doesn't. Thinking in corporate terms seems unlikely, but I hope we get a good send off to this version of the Eternals in the event. And again, because it's being written by Kieran Gillen, that's what what gives me hope that some big bombastic Marvel summer event might have more to it than than some of the others. Oh, I I sure hope so. It it seems like uh, this doesn't seem like a throwaway event, which I mean, so many Marvel events do, where it's like, Okay, every writer's involved, every artist is involved, and um, every editor's involved. And nobody's going to talk to anybody else. So uh, here you go. We're going to have plant aliens. We're going to have this alien. We're going to have that alien. Here, it, it, we're, at least we're, we're, we're going to be optimistic, right? We're going to be optimistic. We're going to say this is a, a good writer, a smart mm-hmm. writer who likes to do smart things. and Who's involved can, can, in every pot here, which is right. great. And he can, he's shown he can take kind of like the offcuts. You know, mm-hmm. the, the scraps from the sides of the Marvel Universe and make something really good out of it. For so sure. now that he's been given, you know, Avengers, X-Men and Eternals, let's, mm-hmm. let's see what he can do. Absolutely. So, uh, we're going to wrap things up for today. Mm-hmm. And when we come back next week, knock on everything. Yes. Uh, we're going to be in the event. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to free we're comic gonna, book day, right? Yeah. We're going to talk about the free comic book day, uh, bit that leads into it. We're probably going to talk a little bit about the Hellfire Gala to the extent mm-hmm. that it, it leads into the event. And we're going to talk about that actual first prelude issue yep. written by our man, Kieran Gillen. Absolutely. And we're going to be in real time. This, these, these past couple of uh, lead-ins, we've been talking about issues that have been published in weeks, months, 
maybe yes. a year in the past, mm-hmm. just that in the background. But we are at the event now. So are we are going to be in real time and in, in, you know, our the usual weird science fashion where the books come out and you hear about them that same week. Uh, we're going to be doing that where if our, our podcast is going to come out on Tuesday, so it's going to come out a few days after the book's published, mm-hmm. but we'll be talking about them less than a week after they come out. Which will so, give you guys plenty of time to actually check them out here. Uh, you know, there are a lot of shows that will put the show out uh, at 12.01 a.m. on Wednesday. And I feel like that takes a lot of the fun. Yeah, but we're going to have some time because we want time to digest it too. Absolutely. But I think we would both agree that uh, if you're interested in the event, you should read Eternal. Really, oh, anybody yeah. anybody oh, interested yeah. in a, a little bit of a deeper mm-hmm. philosoph anybody who's interested in the philosophical parts of the X-Men reboot, mm-hmm. you should read Eternals. If, if you didn't like that and you just want heroes doing hero things, uh, maybe Eternals isn't for you because yeah. – that's not what they're about. They're about yeah. these these philosophical these quandaries. Questions, yeah. You know, they at least bring them up. Whether you like the answers you get or not, maybe that's up to you. But they, they bring them up. So mm-hmm. that is where we're going to leave this. And we will be back in one week with the event itself. So, Absolutely. Chris, thank you once again for joining me and and uh, being uh, okay to be part of this gallop mm-hmm. through so much stuff in this last uh, <laughs> last episode to get everybody up to speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and remind I, everybody again, because you're you're definitely back on the horse over at sure, Hexlap. Sure. So tell people where they can find uh, find that. Well, first I want to thank you for shouldering this episode um, and uh, really helping me out here, and also my cough button, which I've uh, used quite liberally today. Uh, so thank you so much for that. Um, my show, <laughs> my show, Xlapsed is back. Um, it's been back for about 10 episodes now. Um, we're just about to, actually, as this episode comes out, episode 350 of X-Labs will be hitting. It is, it is. A hologram cover and everything. Um, it's got, uh, I'm in the, the Destiny of X now. I've, uh, I've held off. I've been intimidated by the Destiny of X books, but I'm finally in there. And at this point, I've read at least one of every single book that's out. Having a real good time with that. Having more fun with some books than others. Uh, <laughs> there are some books I prefer not be part of them, but um, what are you going to do with a bloated line? Uh, if anybody is interested in hearing uh, deep thoughts on each and every issue of the X-Men books coming out, just head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com or chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and you will be able to find it. The show is X-Lapsed. Okay, so everyone, that's your assignment for next week is to... Uh Read the Eternals, at least flip through it. Everything sure. except the last two issues are up on uh, Unlimited. On Unlimited. So yeah. you can read everything else. I do think those one-shots are very they, much worthwhile. Yeah, and they're on They're Unlimited. good stuff. They have yeah. different artists to them. Some of them are, have a really cool Kirby look to them. So I, I always like that. Mm-hmm. Check those out. And while you're at it, uh, check out Chris's other podcasts on the X-Men. And we will see you in a week. Bye, everybody. <laughs>